If you think you're trans, you're trans. If you want to be trans, you're trans. Like, there's no real trans people and fake trans people. But also, like, there's not really a finite amount of resources. It's not like if you transition, then, like, a trans guy has to go off testosterone. You know, like, there is an infinite number of trans people. When you ask the question, what is gender? And look beyond the Webster's Dictionary definition. When you ask that, the answer is not simple. And this goes for everybody, right? Trans or not. Gender is complicated for everybody. It dictates and informs every interaction, every moment of our lives, and that experience of gender also differs across the world. That is why I very much appreciate the clarity and nuance with which Tuck Woodstock is able to speak about gender and the trans experience. Tuck is the host of the long-running podcast called Gender Reveal, which is an amazing name. They interview trans and non-binary folks and are a self-proclaimed gender detective. After today's conversation, I think you will see why, so let's hear it. From The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ and A. So, gender. What the fuck, right? <laughs> That's what I've been saying. I remember when I first started transitioning or thinking about transitioning, and I was so laser focused thinking about gender all the time. And the thing that was the most freeing to me was to be like, oh, actually, I'm never going to think about it. And I don't care because it's not real. And no matter how hard I think about it, it's not like a math equation where someday I'm going to get the right answer. It's just fake. And so now I talk to people all the time who are baby transes or who think they might be trans. And they're like, what is gender? And like, how do I know if I'm trans or if I just want to be trans? And maybe I'm non-binary or maybe I'm this or maybe I'm that. And I'm like, honestly, the key is to never try to figure out what gender is because there is no right answer. Uh, and yet my whole podcast is the premise is to try to figure out what gender is. So I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, that's kind of amazing that you decided that you never wanted to think about gender and now, professionally, it is all that you talk about. Totally. I think that I had to let go a little bit in order to do it professionally because, if yeah, if you think too much and too hard trying to get this one right answer of gender, it really does consume you. But once you let go, it's a lot easier to have a bunch of conversations with a bunch of different people about what they think gender is without trying to find the one correct answer. I love how you phrase that about not there not being one answer, because I think that when it comes to gender and sexuality, we think that my experience is like the only experience and everyone else just like has exact same one. And increasingly, it's like, oh, every single individual has a completely different one. Totally. That's the thing about gender. It's that sort of high thought of like, what if your blue is my green and your red is my blue, right? Yeah. It's, it's that, but with gender, it's like, what if your boy isn't my boy? And what if your girl isn't my girl and ultimately it does not matter and it shouldn't matter something that I think some cis people get stuck on is that they want their blue to be my blue and they want their boy to be my boy and it, it doesn't have to be there's no reason that it has to be that way just a minute ago, you mentioned like early in your transition. I think that when we talk about transitioning, like most commonly we discuss it as this binary thing. As like a non-binary person, like do you use that language and like consider yourself as having transitioned? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think of all of my transition as different. So when I teach workshops about gender, I talk about three different types of transitions. I talk about social transitioning, legal transitioning, and medical or physical transitioning. All of those things can take time and none of those things are a binary of simply I 
hadn't transitioned and then I did transition. There are all these long processes. But typically the first thing that happens and certainly the first thing that happened with me was a social transition. So I started by just telling a few of my friends, hey, I'm thinking about maybe using they, them pronouns. Could you try those out for me? And then expanding that out to more and more people and more and more people. And then I started saying, hey, you know, I am not a woman. Please don't refer to me as one. And that was all my social transition. And it actually took years for me to do another part of a social transition, which was to change my name. Obviously, not all non-binary people and not all trans people change their name, but that would also be part of a social transition. So you could say that my social transition took, you know, at least four years. Legally, you know, I changed the marker on my driver's license and the, my birth certificate, but I didn't change my name or gender on other documents. So my legal transition is still in progress. Medically, it took me like four years to go on testosterone, and that is still a journey. And so you could say my medical journey is still in process. So I certainly am always transitioning. Uh, there are also obviously non-binary people who don't choose to medically transition or don't choose to legally transition. They may still feel like they have transitioned in some way just because they transitioned how they thought about themselves or how other people thought about them. Or if they don't want to use that language, that's also fine. I've never heard anyone break it down like that, the social, medical, and legal transitions. And I think it's kind of like blowing my mind because ordinarily we say transition and like the first thing we think about is like male to female or female to male. And like we don't like continue the conversation. So like when you break it down on those three things, that does really encompass the entire trans experience of like non-binary people as well. Okay, but who's we, Jeffrey? <laughs> You're like, we only think about this. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> no, that's a great question. When I say we, I mean like the general public, because like okay. as a wider public, we've had this massive hardware upgrade in terms of like, understanding of gender. So I think that is the we I mean. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And I think that is true. In the latest conversations about the latest Supreme Court justice, there's a lot of discussion about Roe versus Wade being repealed, potentially. And I was on Twitter being like, hey, let's think about the way that trans people could be impacted by a loss of reproductive health care. And there are all of these cis people who are like, why would any trans person ever need an abortion? How would any trans person ever get pregnant? And I was like, oh, no, cis people don't know anything. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, hashtag not all cis people. But I had forgotten, like, how... Like, not even 101, uh, um, the majority of folks are at because I do operate in a bubble mostly of people who have heard of trans people before. With these words we're talking about, like non-binary, which is how you identify, they're fairly new in terms of like the public usage. Did you always have words to describe your feelings of gender? Like, did you always attribute those feelings to gender? I didn't think too much about gender until I learned that non-binary people existed and I started to meet people in my life who were non-binary. I, like many people, originally heard of trans people as either trans men or trans women and like anyone who grew up when I did, they were always portrayed as a joke or portrayed as dead or portrayed as cross-dressers or something horrible. And so, yeah, it took meeting people who were like me to even consider that as a possibility because I found myself looking at them and the way that they express themselves and the way that they identified and thinking, oh, it's not fair that those people get to be non-binary and those people get to use they, them pronouns and I don't get to. And then I was like, what do you mean I don't get to? And so I did. And, you know, that's that's how it worked. But for most of my life, there were moments and I never really attributed to being wrong about my gender. I just attributed them to me being bad at my gender. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I was like, I was like failing at being a woman, right? Like I didn't know 
how to be a woman. Oh, because in your mind, you didn't have any other options, right? Right. You're like, I can be a woman and I can't change that. So I'm just bad at this. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, oh, it's weird how I always want to hang out with the boys, you know, and like I'm bad at being a woman. I'm bad at presenting as a woman, performing femininity. And so it wasn't until you met somebody else who was non-binary. Was it an immediate thing? Like, oh my God, that was me? Or did it take out some time? No, uh, a story that I love to tell is my very best friend from college started realizing that they were non-binary. And when they realized they were non-binary, they started talking to me about it like, hey, I think that you might be non-binary as well. And I was already, you know, queer and biracial and vegan, which is, you know, not the same kind of category, but it was another way that I was othered at work, you know, all sorts of other things, depressed. And so I remember saying to them, like only half jokingly, like I can't be non-binary because being cis is the only thing I have left, which is, is not true. Like I have other structural privileges. Like I have a lot of economic privilege and, you know, able-bodied privileges and white passing privileges. But yeah, I just remember being like, okay, but if I'm not cis, then then I'll just be yet another marginalized group. And I'm so tired of being the weirdo. I'm so tired of being the only one who's like this. And it turns out I'm not the only one that's like this. And now most of my friends are trans, both because I made a bunch of friends who are trans and because a bunch of my friends came out as trans. And so I'm not the weirdo. There's a bunch of us like this and I love it. But at the time, it definitely felt uh, like yet another threat to my fitting in in society. That is a fascinating conversation to have with another person. Like, hey, I think you might be this identity group. Right. There's something like beautiful and generous and like terrifying about that to me. Yeah, it's interesting because on one hand, I'd be like, don't do this to people unless, you know, you're very, very close. Like, don't tell people what you think their gender is. But on the other hand, I do feel like trans people do that all the time because it's really hard for people who have always thought of themselves as cis, as I demonstrated in my story, to wrap their heads around the idea that they could possibly not be cis. It's not always hard, but often it is hard, uh, especially when you, like me, had always thought of it in more concrete terms or thought that you needed to know this your entire life in order to be trans because we hear a lot of stories like, oh, I knew I was trans since I was three years old. And so cis people can say, oh, I didn't know I was trans when I was three years old, so I must be cis. And that's not necessarily true. I do think that trans people have a tendency not to tell people that they're trans, but to remind them like, hey, I, I hear the experience you're describing. And that's an experience that I had. I just want to remind you that like there are other options and it's OK to explore them. And it's OK to question the way that you're thinking about yourself. You won't be taking up too much space because that not to go on a tangent, but that is something I hear all of the time from people who are questioning their gender identity is like, oh, I don't want to take up space in the movement because they're like the real trans people. And like, I don't want to take attention or space or anything away from the real trans people. Like one, if you think you're trans, you're trans. If you want to be trans, you're trans. Like there's there's no real trans people and fake trans people. But also like there's not really a finite amount of resources. Like it's not like if you transition, then like a trans guy has to go off testosterone, you know, like there is an infinite number of trans people. And so it's it's really OK to just play with it and see what feels good for you. You're not taking anything away from anyone. If anything, you're increasing the representation of trans people in the world, which is amazing. Is that anxiety? Is that also just like internally like, 
a really amazing way to justify procrastinating for like coming out. Yeah, I think it's a mix of internalized transphobia, which is super real. And I also went through it and uh, imposter syndrome, which every trans person I know went through at some point. And yeah, fear. I think fear is really real. Like it's it's scary to come out as trans because you don't know how anyone's going to react. It's scary to be trans sometimes. You know, look at our political landscape. It's very scary to be trans. I don't know if I'm going to have workplace protections. I don't know if I'm going to have anything, healthcare access. <laughs> like, I can't even think of anything that it feels stable to me as a trans person. And so, yeah, it's very scary in a lot of ways. And it's new and it's vulnerable. And it's even more vulnerable when you're not 100% sure, which which most of us aren't because, again, gender is fake. So how can you be 100% sure about it? But it's also exciting and wonderful and amazing and opens your eyes to this whole new way of being and existing in the world and thinking about things. And so I hope that people can think about the wonderful things about being trans and not just the scary things about being trans. With the three types of transitioning that you identified earlier, I, I, I want to go back to that for a second, just because I believe you've only been using the name Tuck for a little more than a year. Is that right? Yeah, it's pretty recent. It's funny to be a person who transitioned after making five seasons of a podcast because I can erase you know, my old name from anywhere I want on the internet. But if you want to find it, like just go to the first five seasons of my podcast. It's there. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to pull them off the internet or like somehow dub them over. So it feels vulnerable to have that. But something that trans people tend to do for each other is sort of try to forget each other's old names as soon as possible and sort of like blur their eyes a little bit when they see them. So people have been really supportive about switching immediately and sort of committing to try to forget that as much as possible. Isn't that an amazing example for us to have like someone like in like the public eye, someone with five seasons of a podcast who is like, hey, like I'm still evolving too. Yeah. For a long time, I didn't think I was going to change my name. And then when I knew I was going to change my name, it took me a really long time to figure out what I wanted to use. And I had, you know, a couple of false starts. When I did change it, I thought it was going to be really difficult because changing my pronouns you know, continues to be difficult. People still misgender me. And with the exception of my parents, like everyone switched to my new name so quickly. Like I was shocked that so many people so quickly were, didn't question it. They're just like, oh, okay, that's your name. Great. Wonderful. Erasing your old name from my brain right now. So that was great. I mean, I think that just the act of naming oneself is like so powerful to, like, to be cheesy about it. Yeah. And it's fun because you can change it to anything you want. You know, there's this stereotype that I think has some truth to it that many trans women just change their name to very normal names like Samantha, Sarah, Victoria. And meanwhile, trans men are giving themselves the names of drowned Victorian orphans. My friend is a Julian Bailey Fitzpatrick, you know? And then meanwhile, non-binary people are naming themselves like Carrot, Machete, Tiger, Rock, Thread, you know? And so... I named myself after a joke I made on Twitter, and I didn't mean to. I had the idea that I should change my name to Montucky Woodsnacks on Twitter, and it was clearly a joke to me. Montucky Coldsnacks is the name of a gay-adjacent beer from Montana, and at some point I just started actually going by Tuck. But, like, you can just do that. If you want to name yourself after, like, a beer from Montana, no one is stopping you. And that goes for cis people, too. You want to change your name? You don't like your name? Change your name. 
So the name Tuck, it kind of removes assumptions about your gender. Like, are you seeing that affect like how other people like perceive your gender? Yeah, sometimes. Not as much as I wanted to. It's funny because, you know, for a long time I was like, actually, I'm just non-binary and you just have to learn to disassociate gender with my name. And that's still true. But then I got tired and I was like, okay, but I am going to give myself like a little bit more of an advantage with this. And then I was still getting misgendered. And I was like, what else do you want me to do? (laughs) This is how I look. This is my hair. This is my presentation. And this is my name. What do I have to do to not get misgendered around here? But, you know, one thing you learn about being trans and especially when you're transitioning is that some cis people assume gender in the most wild possible ways. Like Danny Lavery was tweeting the other day about being misgendered all of the time with a full beard. And, you know, I hear stuff like that all the time from from trans people of all different presentations is you can really you can have a presentation that's more masculine than like most cis men or more feminine than most cis women. And people will still misgender you. And I'm just like, where are you getting this? Like, what is possibly signaling this to you? I want to ask you a question that I am really challenged by when it's turned on me for my podcast, which is like, what themes and patterns have you seen having interviewed so many trans people? And I say that because queer and trans people span all races and socioeconomic statuses and religions. And so it's like, well, what does make us a community? What are these things that are like commonalities? Like, do you have a answer for that? I think that the main theme are that trans folks are very creative and they're very brave and they're very willing to do a lot of self-reflection and then be themselves regardless of you know how that impacts them in the world and so that's the main theme that I can think of is just trans people have done a lot of work to understand themselves. They've done a lot of work to understand society and their expectations. Uh, They've done a lot of work to distinguish their wants and desires and needs versus what society is telling them they should want and desire and need. And I think that's all true about queer people, too. I'm not trying to draw a line between cis queer people and trans people, but I think that's true about our community in general is it's I can't just be like, oh, yeah, every trans person, you know, thinks this or likes this because the experiences are so different. But I think that, you know, every trans person has just done a lot of work on themselves and a lot of work on reflecting their values and like their dreams. And I think that is what inspires me so much about the community. I love that. I also was curious because I I also don't know, I don't know that I have an elegant answer for that, but all the answers I would have given you even like two years ago have changed because of the generational differences between the community. For example, I would have told you that like the vast majority of queer people feel like outsiders um, when they were growing up. Um, it was like a common thing I heard year after year. And now with so many queer people like being young, that is like not a thing actually anymore, which like is wild to say because it was like so ingrained in my own experience. And then with trans people in particular, I don't think it can be overstated how wild it is that people growing up now understand that the gender binary is a construct and that gender is mutable where that was something that you and I had to learn Mm -hmm. you know but for them it's just like an understood fact and I think that is going to be like a massive game changer for their experience yeah it is absolutely unimaginable to think about how different my life would have been and my friends lives would have been if we had known 10 or 20 years ago or 30 years ago that it was possible to be trans or to be non-binary or to otherwise not identify with the gender we were assigned at birth. 
I can't overstate how different a lot of my friends' lives would be if they had been able to go on puberty blockers before they went through puberty, right? Like their whole lives would be different. I am really, really, really excited to see what the future looks like in terms of gender, especially with these kids who know they're trans from such a young age. I'm also excited and encouraged by how many parents are showing up so strongly for their queer and trans kids. You know, that is also unimaginable to me. Imagine having a parent who is like, I love my trans son or my trans daughter or my trans kid, and I'm going to go advocate for them at their school or in their community. That's incredible. Like, I cannot imagine. And I think for older trans people, I can't believe I'm older already. I'm like <laughs> a young trans elder. But, um, you know, like, I think that, Sometimes, like, some of us get a little bit jealous. I know I get jealous uh, thinking about what that experience would be. But I'm also just so, so, so happy to see that on the horizon. Yeah. Now, going back to your name for a second, you said that you grew tired with the assumptions about your gender that came with your name and constantly having to explain it. How much does that also affect how you dress and present day to day? Yeah, it's a good question. For the first four years of me knowing that I was non-binary, I was very adamant that I was not going to medically transition because I really liked my body and I still really like my body a lot. And I wasn't going to change my name and I wasn't going to change anything about myself that I didn't want to change. And that cis people just needed to figure out how to gender me correctly without me, you know, changing myself to fit what society thought of as not a girl. And yeah, then I hit a wall where there were two things that happened. And one was that I think my gender just continued to change and continued to move away from womanhood. And I genuinely just wanted to explore, you know, testosterone or a name change more than I had wanted to previously. But also, I was just exhausted uh, by getting misgendered by strangers and knowing that that was never going to change unless I took certain steps. And it might still not change, you know, but... I had started feeling really dysphoric when I used women's restrooms. And so, you know, when there wasn't an all gender restroom available, I would use the men's room sometimes. And I knew that I wasn't going to pass in the men's room. And I knew that I could use the women's room for safety. But like, I don't want to. I don't want to use the women's room. Sometimes I do because men's rooms are um, horrific. But, you know, sometimes I don't. And I just wanted the opportunity to not even pass as a man, like I don't want to be seen as a man all of the time, but to be just in the middle enough that I could be given the benefit of the doubt. And so, you know, if if people saw me, they didn't necessarily think, oh, that's a boy, like that's not what I want. But they might think, I don't know. I don't know who that person's gender is. And the thing that's really wild about that is what that means is that my ideal gender is one that causes me the most potential for harm. It makes me the most at risk because if you look at violence in trans community or in gender nonconforming community, it's not necessarily, and I think Meredith Toulousen wrote really well about this, it's not necessarily directed at people who are trans. It's directed at people whose genders aren't immediately legible or people who don't seem cis or don't seem gender conforming. And so there is something really privileged and really fucked up about aspiring towards a gender that increases my likelihood of harm. But that's also like what my gender is. And I think grappling with that has been really, really difficult for me. Uh, and it's something that I still think about like all the time. 
I mean, I think for people who, you know, have questions about, like, the trans experience, who, like, maybe doubt, like, what non-binary is because they only have, like, an intellectual understanding of it and not, you know, a guttural feeling of gender in their body, I think that what you said about choosing this gender that will bring could bring violence and harm to you, to me, that is the most, like, legitimizing argument. It's like the world is run by, like, white men. And so for someone to say, like, actually, like, I'm a woman, it's like to give up that power, like, I don't think you do it, like, lightly. You do it because, like, this is who you are. It's not like a choice. Does it sound crazy? Yeah, I no, I think you're right. And I think you're 100% correct. And also, if it was a choice, that would also be fine. You know, like, if anyone... If we got to the point where people felt like they were choosing their gender out of a buffet of options and they had the potential to be many different genders and they were choosing that one, I would also be very okay with that. The same way that like people are always like, don't say that being gay is a choice. And I was like, right, right, right. But also sometimes being gay is a choice. And I also support that. Like some people are born gay. Some people become gay. Some people have being gay thrust upon them, you know, et cetera, et cetera, as a wise man once said. And like, those are all valid, but it is in some ways a choice in that like I get to choose how to present and I get to choose what to do to my body but in other ways it's a choice between like me being safer but absolutely miserable my whole life or me feeling good in my body and good in my gender and also more at risk and I think that's the case for you know thousands and thousands of trans people is we're choosing between safety and acceptance in society versus like not being fucking miserable all the time or being miserable in like a new fun way you know (laughs) that's the trans experience just kidding (laughs) And so are you able to access different worlds? Like trans men talk about not knowing that like men said hi to each other on the street. <laughs> like, do you like, are you like taken off guard sometimes when like you're like read as a man and like have access to that? No, no one reads me as a man. Um, No, sorry. It's very, very rare that I'm read as a man. And so I haven't really experienced those, but I have noticed things and I have started to be aware of the changes in my behaviors and my demeanor that I would need in order to pass as a man and some of them I'm just like not willing to do like I realize that when I'm ordering a coffee I say hi can I have a coffee please oh what size oh medium please would you like any milk in it yes oat milk please and I was like I have to stop saying please if I say please four times they're gonna know I'm not a man or if I like you know pitch my voice up higher or like you know when I'm trying to be non-threatening, they're going to know I'm not a man. But something as simple as when I started using the men's room, something that trans men and trans mass non-binary people talk about a lot is that like maybe pre-coronavirus, but maybe still, I don't know, men don't wash their hands a lot of the time. And so we're like, are we going to get clocked if we wash our hands? And that's like a real actual discussion that trans men have is like, do we not wash our hands in order to pass? And so there are some things that, yeah, I'm, like, not going to do. Like, I should still say please. There are some times when I'm trying to pass more and I'm much ruder and it sucks. Like, I hate that. Like, not overtly rude, just, like, less openly friendly. That's the point where I'm at right now. Maybe someday I'll get to the point where, you know, I'm talking to a cashier and they go, man, bro, bro, man, bro, man, man, bro, which I've noticed with other people, but I'm not to that point yet. Before I let you go, I just want to, we've talked everything about, like, gender, but I'm curious about, like, sexuality, especially since, like, the, like, language we have is limited, where, like, the word lesbian assumes the gender of, like, both parties. As you've, like, figured out that you were non-binary for the last four years, like, have you had to, like, evolve how you, like, describe and think about your sexuality? Yeah, so I never identified as a lesbian, even when I was, thought I was a cis woman. I think 
that's to some extent because I always had dysphoria around it and also because my queerness was evolving. But when I was younger, I thought I was straight for boys. And then when I thought I was a queer cis person, I thought I was gay for women. And now I'm like gay for boys. You know, like it's been this whole 360. Really how I identify is T for T, trans for trans, and gay as a non-binary person. What I mean mostly for gay is that I'm attracted to other non-binary people. I'm attracted to other trans people. I do date cis people sometimes, like my girlfriend is cis allegedly. But, you know, generally speaking, I'm a non-binary person. I'm gay because I'm attracted to other non-binary people. And there are also non-binary people who identify as gay and are attracted to men. And there are non-binary people who identify as gay and attracted to women. And then there are non-binary people who identify as gay and are attracted to everyone. And so I think that's one of the fun things about being non-binary is that like you said, like the language isn't made for you and doesn't apply to you. And so you get to just choose whatever you want. And there's something really, really, really important to me about identifying as gay specifically. Amazing. And I think that is such a great place to leave it. So thank you so much for talking to us today. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And a big thank you to Tuck for that. Once again, their podcast is called Gender Reveal and a new season's coming out next year. Now, we will be back next week with Alona Verley. They're the amazing drag queen from Canada. She's also to spirit. Please make sure that you are subscribed. You can do that in whatever app you're listening to us right now. We're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD. Come check out all of our amazing work at advocate.com and glad.org. All right, I'm Jeffrey Masters, or as you might know me from Twitter, at JeffMasters1. I will see you next week. Bye.